practices. So shall we start? We're going to go through erectile dysfunction, Peyronie's disease, lichen sclerosis, um, how the P-shot can help these things, who is good for, who is not good for, what the results are, um, how long they yeah. last, all of that. Cool. So shall we start? Because for men like women, I mean, you know, vaginal atrophy is not a fun, fun thing to talk about. So I'm also assuming for men that erectile dysfunction isn't a fun thing to talk about either. And it must be very, very hard to talk about with your parent, I mean, your, with your parents, with your partners. <laughs> or you don't want to talk yeah. about it with your um, so, so how do they know if they have a problem and how do you start to talk to somebody about it? Okay. Well, I think the first thing is to define what ED actually is. And it's the um, inability to either get or maintain an erection that's actually um, suitable for satisfactory intercourse. Um, so it is extremely common. And that's the first thing to say. A lot of men suffer from it. And it becomes increasingly more common as you age. So although people think mm. of old men suffering from ED, actually, if you think about um, a 50-year-old who's not particularly old, um, at least... 50% of them have issues with ED by the age of 50. And as you get older, that percentage increases. Um, I am seeing men in their 20s, in their 30s as well, who are suffering from problems with ED. So it's important to realise that you're not alone. That's the first thing I'd say. Um, secondly, once you realise that, then it makes it a little bit easier to talk about when you appreciate that you're not the only one going through it. And women suffer from sexual dysfunction as do men so it sh should be something you can bring up with your partner and if not then bring up with a close friend or your doctor um, and doctors are used to discussing issues like this so you shouldn't be embarrassed to talk about it um, there are lots and lots of causes as well so you need to try and get an answer as to what the reason for your erectile dysfunction is so for example it could be neurological it could be vascular um, it could be hormone related as well and I advise all my patients to have a hormone test as well because um, I obviously get a lot of um, inquiries for the p-shot to treat ED and alongside that I do recommend men have a hormone profile too um, and in terms of the cardiovascular disease as well, the um, vascular cause, ED is often the first sign that you've got an issue with your blood vessels. Mm. And it's often a really sensitive early indicator that you may go on to develop heart disease later. So again, it's important at that stage to get all your cardiovascular risk factors checked. Um, and diabetics are more prone to ED as well because of the changes in their small blood vessels and the nerves. Um, and then another reason for potentially having it is psychological, but that to me, um, although stress and things like that can generally cause temporary ED, it's not often a cause of long-standing ED, unless the person gets themselves into such a state that they're their own worst enemy. So from that side, counselling and things can help with yeah. that. So that's yeah. the run through. Is the there a point going along? That's a rough question. Is there is there, I mean, a lot of men will say, "Oh, you know, it just happens when I'm, as you say, you don't you know when I'm tired or when I've been drinking too much." Um, but is there a point where you'd actually think, you know, perhaps this is a, isn't as as strong as an erection as I used to have, and it's ongoing? At what point do you start to think maybe I should get this looked at? Um, 
from my point of view, I tend to advise people when it's a problem for them, that's when they should get it looked at. Um, when it's not just an occasional issue. Um, because obviously everyone suffers when they're tired or they're stressed. But if it keeps on occurring or you've tried things to alleviate the causes of the stress and it's still not working, it is worth going to get checked. And you'd be surprised how many people I've tested that actually come back with a lower than average testosterone as well. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, there are many causes for ED and it's important to find out what is going on in your particular case. Are there lifestyle things that people can do to sort of help this? Absolutely. Obviously, cutting out things like drinking too much alcohol, um, stop smoking because that's going to affect your um, blood vessels and cause atheroma formation. Um, if you're diabetic, control your blood sugars, um, control your other cardiovascular risk factors, take plenty of exercise, um, try and reduce your stress levels as well. And also taking supplements like arginine and things like that can also help. Well, what's that? What's in that? Arginine is just an amino acid. So it helps with um, blood vessel con um, contractility and helps with blood flow and things like that. So it's a useful supplement. When men ask me about supplements, I tend to recommend arginine. Oh, okay, dokie. That's an interesting one. Um, what about a DHEA for men? Is that... Um, DHEA is a precursor for testosterone. So again, it can boost your testosterone levels. Um, it's one of the things that goes down when we're stressed because what happens is all our hormones come from cholesterol, um, the sex hormone. So what tends to happen is if you're stressed, less of it goes towards the DHEA route to then go on and make testosterone and more goes towards making cortisol, which is our stress hormone. So as part of the stress response, that's why you tend to have problems with ED because you're producing less testosterone. Interesting. Although I suppose the other way, why have a precursor if you can actually have your thing? Well, sometimes just having the precursor is enough to boost, especially if they're only slightly low. Um, and DHEA is transformed into other hormones as well. It's not just testosterone. So it can help all round. And I prescribe DHEA for men and women when their levels are low. Interesting. Well, there you go. Now, one of the treatments for this is the P-Shot. What is the P-Shot and how can it help? Yeah, so the P-Shot is incredibly popular. And I think we may have discussed this before, you and I, but I've had a surge of inquiries during lockdown. And I think part of that is because people have realised once they take away the stress of their jobs and things like that, and they've been at home, they can't then blame being tired or being at work or traveling for not being able to have a satisfactory sex life. So I think the um, inquiries for, from both men and women for treatments for sexual dysfunction have increased during this period. And yeah. another reason is because they've had more time to research the options as well. So um, the P-Shot is a particular treatment method I have. It uses platelet-rich plasma, which is PRP for short, um, what that effectively is, is using your body's own healing mechanisms to try and rejuvenate the tissue. So the way I explain PRP to my patients is when you cut yourself, you get that yellow goo forming at the site of the injury first, and then you get the blood clot as well. Um, so that yellow goo is platelet-rich plasma effectively. And what happens is the platelets release their growth factors 
they attract stem cells to the area of injury and it's those stem cells that cause the wound to heal so that's effectively oh, okay. the, it's the mechanism of action of prp you're um tricking the body into thinking there's been an acute injury and therefore you start off the repair process by attracting stem cells to the area and when we're repairing this area, what are we putting in? Are we repairing tissue or are we repairing vascular systems or are we doing both? Um, you're doing both. So effectively, um, stem cells will um, divide and differentiate into whatever type of cell they need to. So um, you can repair blood vessels, you can repair nerves, you can um, get new tissue growth as well. So the P-Shot is capable of achieving all of those things which is why it works so well for so many conditions. So um, it can help with sensitivity issues. It can help with erectile firmness um, by improving the blood supply to the penis as well. And because it repairs the tissue as well and causes tissue growth, it can lead to an increase in girth and length. Now, this is another interesting one. I was going to save size for later, but as we notice, size does, does... For many men, size matters, and it is an issue. And I've had a number of people actually over the last couple of weeks asking about size and if it could do anything with that, and then asking about how much of an improvement could they see and how long it would last for. So what is the answer to those It's a tricky one because everyone's individual and everyone's response will be different. But I can talk about averages. So in terms of response to treatment, you can expect to see around a 10 to 20% increase in the length and a slightly bigger increase in the girth. And you'll see the increase in the girth first. Um, as a caveat, I do encourage my patients who want to see a size increase to use a penis pump alongside it. And the way I explain that is if you use a penis pump on its own, it's like going to the gym and doing weights and you will get an increase in size just by using a penis pump. But if you use a penis pump in conjunction with the P-Shot, it's like working out on steroids. So it gives you that enhanced benefit and it gives you a quicker and better response. So that's how I explain the use of the pump. Yeah. Is there, because um, I, I mean, there are a couple of studies that sort of say, well, you know, how do you tell the difference between, is there anything that shows that that is actually true? Um, well, if is you there evidence to, the to back that up? Men, if, you, if you speak to the many men who try to increase their size just by using the penis pump, often a lot of them will give up before they get any measurable results. Um, but when they combine it with the P-Shot, I'll get feedback within six weeks or so saying that they've noticed an increase in size already yeah is and how long does that is that a lifetime change or is this something that have to go back and have topped up all the time um with everything you can't stop aging so mm. it is something that will need maintenance and again the frequency of the maintenance depends on the patient it depends on their age it also depends on their background testosterone levels and things like that as to what sort of size they can expect and maintain but as you get older, you will lose um, tissue anyway and the size will go down again. So if you do decide to embark on this, it is something that you would have to carry on maintaining. And once you've got to the size you want, I tend to recommend every 12 to 18 months to maintain it. Yeah. So I guess lifestyle would also play a role in that as well, about from just ordinary yeah. aging. But if you can bad, bad lifestyle, you're going to be aging yourself faster and 
Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, nothing like shrink. Yeah, and with the back, just going back to the erectile dysfunction there, with the, with the improvements that you can see with that too, how how long would you expect those sorts of improvements to last before you'd see somebody back in the surgery again? Again, it would depend on the patient and the condition they presented with. But on average, I'd expect to see people back every 12 months or so for a repeat treatment. Um, and it's one of those things that doesn't wear off suddenly. You notice a gradual decline. So once mm. you start noticing that decline, that's the time to come back and get a top up. And do they, I had a question then, just went in one ear and out the other, that's menopause brain for you to do with it. Oh, that's <laughs> Is it always um, one treatment, two treatments, three treatments? How many treatments do people need? And, and would they need the same number in a top-up or would you be able to just do it with one? So the initial treatment course depends on the condition. So for erectile dysfunction, I usually say start with one. Let's see what your result is at three months and then we can go from there. And it's one of those where if they've had a full resolution, then it's like, okay, come back when it starts to wear off. And that is usually at around 12 to 18 months. Now, if they only have a partial response, then it's probably worth having a second treatment to see if you can improve on that result. So then we do a second treatment, but that's a discussion between me and the patient as to what they want to achieve and finances as well. Mm -hmm. um, thing with size, again, I say to them, see what your result is at three months, and if you're happy, fine. If not, then more treatments. And with size, um, men, generally tend to have two to three treatments over the first six to nine months. Um, the one that they definitely will need more treatments is Peyronie's disease because mm -hmm. you're, you're treating scar tissue in that and you're trying to regenerate that. So from experience, Peyronie's usually needs a minimum of three treatments. Yeah. And you do that two to three months apart. So what exactly is Peyronie's disease and how do people know whether or not they should or shouldn't be having a treatment? Okay. Um, a lot of men have Peyronie's disease and don't realise it. Effectively, all it is, is a bend in the penis. And it could be really, really minor or it could be severe and be, um, I've seen 90 degree bends. In, wow. Yeah. So when it's severe, it can interfere with intercourse. And it can be painful as well. So my advice is, if it's minor and it's not bothering you, you don't need to do anything. But it in, if it interferes with your quality of life, then there are treatments you can try. And, and is again, this, is, is sorry, this something like, it's like it can either be caused by an injury or is it, is it something that is, you know, with a, if you just have a natural curvature of your, of your penis, is, is, it, is it something you, what is it? How do you, how it's, do you, usually, how do you... it's usually traumatic in nature and it's um, a plaque forming in the penis at the site of the trauma and the bend happens at the site of this scar tissue. Um, sometimes the trauma can be so minor that a man may not notice he's had it, but it is usually thought to be due to trauma, um, often through intercourse. Mm. So... Again, yeah. it's one of those things, if it interferes with your function, then it's worth treating. If it doesn't, then leave it alone, unless it's getting worse. That makes sense. That makes sense. And with that as well, there, I can't remember what you said. You, it would, the actual process of the procedure, 
Do you want to run through that? And that will explain to people how really, you... Really simple. So um, what it involves after the consultation and we agree to the patient having the procedure, they come and visit me in clinic. Um, that I take blood um, between 60 and 120 mils. And that gets spun in the centrifuge and it gets concentrated down to 10 mils of PRP. Okay, um, while the blood's been processed in the centrifuge, I will apply numbing cream to start with. And then once the numbing cream's kicked in, I also give a nerve block as well. Um, just because numbing cream on its own often isn't enough to keep the patient completely pain-free and comfortable. And with my background as an anaesthetist in a previous life, I don't like my patients to feel any pain. So I give them a nerve block as well. So then they don't feel anything during the procedure. Um, the longest part of it is the blood spinning. Once that's done, I activate the platelets with a tiny bit of calcium and then it's injected into the areas it needs to be along the penis. Mm -hmm. and, and that's pretty much it. True. And is there a difference between if you were doing peronies, would you pay more attention to the area where the curvature is um, as, if it, as opposed to if you were doing erectile dysfunction, you'd place it sort of all along? Yeah. Or... So everyone gets a standard P shot anyway. And then in patients with Peyronie's disease or lichen sclerosis, they get extra PRP put into the areas of concern. Now, let's talk about lichen sclerosis because that's an interesting one. We've been talking about that. Um, hang on, we have a quick... If I'd had breast cancer before, PRP is good or not? Um, so this is a woman not talking about erectile dysfunction. Yeah. But, um, for so what... if you've had breast cancer, normally um, if it's no longer active, then I do treat. So I treat a lot of people post-breast cancer for menopausal atrophy because the medication puts them into menopause and it makes intercourse incredibly uncomfortable. Usually they can't have hormones. So as long as they're not on any antiplatelet agents, they can go ahead and have PRP treatment. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, in theory, if you're only really injecting your own blood product back in, you really can't say hello to Nikolai walking up the stairs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can't... Um... You, in theory, you shouldn't be doing yourself. No, at the end of the day, it is your own growth factors that are already present in your body. And um, different topic, but PRP for breasts, does it cause cancer? The answer to that is no. It's, if it did, your own growth factors would be causing cancer all the time. And um, there's plenty of studies to show that PRP use in patients who've had breast cancer post-mastectomy um, when they have reconstruction done, um, they don't have an increased recurrence of cancer if they've had PRP. So there's plenty of studies out there with breast cancer. Yeah. All right, back to the lichen sclerosis. Um, because, yeah, we've been talking a lot recently about um, nasty vulvas, but also lichen sclerosis can affect men as well, can't it? So what is lichen sclerosis and how does the PRP help? Okay, so lichen sclerosis is a really poorly understood condition. Um, it's thought to be autoimmune, uh, and that's because it occurs with other autoimmune diseases. Uh, it's more common in women, like all autoimmune diseases, but it can affect men as well. And in men, it particularly affects the foreskin and the glands. Um, it can cause the foreskin to rip apart, have little fissures in it. Um, it can be incredibly painful during intercourse. It can develop into cancer like it does with women. Um, and it can also cause tightening of the foreskin over the glands as well. So um, it's a really horrible condition to have to live with. 
and the mainstay of traditional treatments is steroids which most people don't get on with um they find it messy they find it doesn't work all the time they stop using it they get a flare-up etc so prp is a really good option for patients with lichen sclerosis because it tends to reverse some of the um autoimmune process and it can even histologically reverse some of the changes that occur with lichen so usually um lichen patients respond quite quickly to a prp treatment and within a few days they say that the itching's calmed down and the area feels more comfortable and over the next few weeks you can notice an improvement in the tissue quality as well so that they don't tear so much that's um, not as uncomfortable for them mm, yeah that is a really un talked about enough condition that probably needs um, a bit more a bit more airing for want of a better word mm. a bit more discussion and you i mean a lot of women who've had lichen sclerosis but have you seen the same improvement in men that you that you've seen in, in women yes i have actually a few years ago i decided to do a little case study in clinic um, because I've been treating with PRP for five years now. And um, I thought I see a lot of erectile dysfunction, see sexual dysfunction. I wasn't seeing a huge amount of lichen patients at the beginning. So I wanted to see whether or not the treatment was actually doing what it said it did. So I did a case study analysis in clinic and I recruited some patients. And the vast majority of them, men and women, had a really good improvement in their symptoms. Um, lichen's a tricky one because it's one of those conditions that flares up and goes into remission as well. And I've had patients that I treated several years ago who haven't had to come back for retreatment because they've remained in remission. And then I've had others who've come back at two years or so for a retreatment. And if they do well on this, does this mean that they can cut back on the steroids or do they still need to continue on with, 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 with the steroids as well? What I tend to find with my patients is that they will end up cutting back on the steroids. It's one of those things I say to them, always have, because if you have a flare-up, you need to treat that straight away. So I never tell anybody not to use steroids. But what I find that um, with the vast majority of patients, they will naturally cut down on the amount of steroid they use. And some stop altogether and haven't had to use it again. Well, because that's really changing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, like you said, it's one of those conditions that does not get enough attention. And it can be really, really debilitating for the patient. And I mean, it changes the architecture of the genitals as well. And it can interfere with intercourse. Um, and in women particularly, it can cause fusion of the midline mm. so that they can't actually have penetrative intercourse anymore. Um, it's not very well understood by medical professionals at all and there's not a lot of sympathy that goes along for the patients who actually suffer from it. So it is one where we need a massive shake-up. Yeah, and often quite um, unnoticed until it gets to a sort of a, quite a severe point. Yeah, I mean, the number of people I've had come in and say that they get sent away and told it's thrush and they get prescribed caniston over and over and over again and this is without someone even examining them mm. and yeah. average time to diagnose this is probably about three to five years that's a long time with a potentially yeah. really long time if you talk to patients about when they first notice their symptoms and when they actually get a diagnosis it like i said we need a good shake-up on this condition
Yeah, yep, it's true. And in men, is it is it the similar sort of symptom? Is it the is it the itching and stuff, or can they go for a very long period of time but not even noticing it? Um, like I said, it's less common in men, but um, they tend to get diagnosed diagnosed a little bit quicker. Um, and the thing with men is the treatment for them is circumcision, and that tends to be pushed on them. And it's not always the be all and end all because I've seen men who've been circumcised who still have signs of the disease, so it's not cured them at all. So, that, like I said, um, it's poorly understood, poorly treated. There needs to be more research into things like PRP, but no one's going to research that because you can't trademark it. So the interest in doing the research may be there, but the funding isn't. So um, it's a difficult one because you just have to go along with what you've got, really. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And the, um, the, yes, the PRP bit itself, and this is just going, I know we've discussed this before, but let us just discuss it one more time. Um, and that is that there are many people who do do these treatments and they're doing that at a much reduced price to those who have actually done the trademark training. Um, yeah. What is between what they're doing and what, what somebody like you who's actually gone and done the, um, the proper training are doing? Okay, well, for example, I had one person say to me that another doctor he'd consulted was going to microneedle his penis with a dermapen. <laughs> Don't make me choke on my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, th this is what you get. So the thing with doing the proper training, it's not just learning the procedure. Um, you, when you become part of the prior shop group and become a P-shop provider, you agree to do things properly, you agree to use a decent centrifuge. Um, in the States, it has to be an FDA approved centrifuge as well, so that you know you're getting the quality of platelets to do the treatment. Um, there are some people who offer PRP treatments just using a normal lab centrifuge, the kind that when you have a blood test, they use to separate the plasma from the red cells. And you're not going to get any platelets in that because they're all stuck to the red cells. So um, you need to know that the person knows what they're doing. They know the procedures. They know the other lifestyle advice that goes around the treatments as well. They've had the proper training. Um, they're using the proper equipment. Um, and that they're actually able to deliver what they say they're delivering. Yeah. And how important is the person's own health as well to the health of their PRP? Um, there are things that affect the quality of your PRP. Um, smoking is a big one. Taking medication like aspirin, ibuprofen, naproxen or steroids is another thing that can affect your platelets. If you've got any known disorders of your platelets, you're not a suitable candidate for treatment. Um, if you've got any active cancers at the time, I tend not to treat. And if you've got an acute infection, then that's a, another reason to delay the treatment. So... Obviously, the healthier you are and the healthier the lifestyle, the healthier your PRP is going to be because it, this treatment um, depends on your ability to have effective platelets to release their growth factors and trigger an inflammatory response that will then lead to healing. Does alcohol make a difference as well, given how much um, um, I've been locked down and been drinking like fish? Yeah, not, not a huge amount to the actual treatment. It dehydrates you. So in my case, where I use a centrifuge, where I take a lot of blood so I can get concentrated PRP, it does make the blood draw more difficult. 
Um, but unless you're drinking long term and affecting your liver and things like that, and you're a heavy drinker with other um, problems related to that, having a few glasses of wine every now and then isn't going to make a difference. I advise people not to drink the day before the procedure just so that they're not completely dehydrated. We have a question here. Does, God almighty, I need new glasses. Does citrate affect the quality of PRP? Um, what kind of citrate? Are you talking about the ACD anticoagulant? Don't know. She will have to answer that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if it's the citrate present in the anticoagulant, then it doesn't. Yeah. So this is the other year because, I mean, I remember telling you that um, the man, I had a man arguing with me for a very long period of time about the quality of the, the uh, yes, she says. Yeah. So the ACD anticoagulant, the only thing that does, it burns a little bit when you're injecting it into the tissues. But it doesn't actually affect the quality of the PRP. And the system I use does have ACDA. Yeah. If people are, if people are deep centrifuges and things like that, I mean, are they not incre increasing the risk of, uh, you know, transferring blood-borne um, infections from one person to another? Um, well, if they don't follow aseptic protocols, um, then obviously the risk of transmission is higher. There's only been that one horrible incident of the place in Mexico that transmitted HIV to patients, and that was doing vampire facials, and that they were reusing needles and things like that, so really poor um, procedures in place. So if you go somewhere reputable, they're always going to have their aseptic techniques. The centrifuges tend to be closed systems generally. Um, the one I use doesn't have any manipulation of the... PRP, so I'm not using needles to draw it up. It comes directly in a syringe. So that reduces your risk of contamination if you've got a closed system. Um, if you've got someone who knows their infection control protocols and things like that, then they are able to keep you safe. Oh, here's a good question. What is the difference between PRP and the fibrin one? Ah, the PRP is platelet-rich plasma, PRF is platelet-rich fibrin, and that is where you encourage clot formation, um, and it's used mainly for volume replacement instead of fillers. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one. It seems to be, be becoming uh, much more popular these days. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, Ali and at the Crandy Clinic does a bit of that. I was going to say my colleague Ali loves PRF. Yeah. I tend to go to the PRP treatments. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, the other thing I think is, um, so you mentioned that there are various people who come, but are there any, are there any times when you actually look at somebody and think, you know, you're just not going to benefit from this? Yeah, I mean, if they've got um, severe comorbidities, if they're on multiple medications, um, a lot of the time people are desperate and they want to give it a go anyway, but I will say to them, I don't think you are going to get the benefit you're looking for from this and I do tell people honestly if I don't think they're going to get the result they're looking for yeah. um, it's difficult to judge that a lot of the time because you could think that somebody's not going to get a good result and they end up surprising you but um, I'll say to people if you want to try it once if it doesn't work don't waste your money yeah uh, it. get more growth factors in the PRF sorry 
Um, I think that depends on the system you're using, and I don't know enough. More about. growth factors in. Yeah. Yeah, that it depends on the system you use, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, the PRF is more to do with um, the fact that you want to. Yeah. With for the erectile dysfunction. Sorry. You're sort of breaking up on me there. Yeah. You, you broke yeah. up on me there. What did you say? No, what did you say? I missed the question. Whether or not there were more growth factors in the PRF. Yeah, I, I can't answer that because I haven't analysed all the systems. Um, the system I use does growth factor assays. So they give you the concentration available in the PRP. But because I don't use PRF, I can't really comment on that. Yeah. With, with the erectile dysfunction, are there other co-treatments with that or suggest or recommend for people um, to enhance the result? Um, generally, the penis pump goes along with the PRP treatment with a P-shot. Um, if they're diabetic, I will give them advice on controlling their blood sugars. Um, one of my case studies, he spoke to the press. Not only did he get an improvement from the P-shot, um, he actually took all my lifestyle advice and managed to um, bring his blood sugars right down and control his diabetes um, to the point where he didn't need his insulin anymore. Wow. And he lost loads of weight as well. So it, lifestyle does make a difference. If patients have low testosterone, then I recommend repeating that. And actually, the questioning around the hormones comes into the consultation. So I will ask things like whether they get early morning erections and um, whether they've had testosterone levels checked in the past. And often I will test testosterone as well if I suspect it may be low. Yeah. It's just um, being in a lot of menopause for things like that, I often see women saying really very, very upset. I get back to the communication thing. Um, I can't believe it. I saw my husband take Viagra this morning. He obviously doesn't find me attractive. Um, are there ways that women actually subject with their with their partner if they do find that their husband is sort of sneaking off to take a little blue pill? Um, otherwise, I mean, you, you can't live on Viagra, right? In the obvious, not a lifetime. So you're, you're breaking up a little bit there. Um, the gist of it was Viagra. Um, Viagra helps the symptoms it doesn't really treat the cause so yes it's good for immediate help um, but if you take it long term eventually its efficacy goes down anyway and what I find a mm. lot of men saying when they come and see me is oh I've been taking Viagra and it doesn't work the way it used to and they've gone up on the dose and they've carried on using the higher dose until it doesn't work as it used to um, and that is a combination of the aging process in the penis and also hormone levels declining as you age. So there's no harm in taking Viagra if you're not getting the side effects from it. But if you only rely on that, then it will eventually fail. Yeah. And if you can hear me again now, basically I was saying I'm, I've spent, you know, I see a lot of women commenting saying that I caught my husband taking Viagra, um, you yeah. know, obviously doesn't find me attractive anymore. Um, how, do, how does a woman broach this with their partner when obviously the partner's probably actually thinking, I, I'm too embarrassed to discuss this? I think this is what um, you need to remember that your partner is probably embarrassed. It's not a question of whether or not men are finding you attractive or not. It's more deeper than that. So 
I think try and put yourself in their position and think what if you were the one having the issues with the aging and the sexual dysfunction and try and broach it like that it's difficult to say exactly how to do it because obviously it depends on the relationship you have in your with your partner but try not to punish yourself over it because the child's site's got nothing to do with how attractive he finds you and the fact that he's even taking the viagra means he's trying to make an effort yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. See the um the silver lining on lining on it because it probably you know like like vaginal atrophy. These sorts of things are really mm -hmm. quite confronting, aren't they? When you kind of think that things yeah, absolutely life are no longer working the way they used to, is um a, it is confronting as we well know. Yeah. Now, is, is there um anything else that we sort of really need to talk about about erectile dysfunction peronies and size and lichen sclerosis is there anything else you needed to, to throw in about the um i just want to remind people that it is incredibly common it's nothing to be embarrassed of you need to find a sympathetic doctor and talk to them about it um it's something we come across all the time as doctors so you shouldn't feel embarrassed about it and just remember that you don't have to live with these things anymore because there are treatments you can have now to improve the outcome. True. And in, in, you know, in theory, if this worked for you, you probably wouldn't need to, you know, just pump every to have sex, which probably really takes the, there's my dog. The fun out of it. The fun <laughs> and the spontaneity. Out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I mean, while it's not, I mean, they're not cheap, are they? It's around about 1,200 pounds or something per treatment, isn't mm. it? The, it varies between 12 and 1,800 pounds, depending on where you go and who's treating you. Yeah. I think if you're paying a lot less than that, then you need to be a bit concerned. Yes, in terms of the machine that they're using and the training that they've actually had. And there, yeah. this is a point, actually, because actually, it's, tell people where they find out who has actually done the proper training. Okay, so Dr. Runnels, who invented the procedure, has a provider group, and you can find details of every doctor who's registered on it on priapershot.com, and that's the website for the P-Shot. Um, usually, if you Google P-Shot, it comes up as one of the websites, but it is priapershot.com. I have to say, it's probably one of the worst websites I've ever seen in my life, and to find anything on it is almost impossible, but in yep. Is where you can find people. You have a question. Are there any particular food or groups of food that one can eat to help with the problem? Um, which problem? ED. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, just plenty of healthy foods. Keep your sugar levels down. Avoid alcohol. Um, supplements like arginine can help with um, the nitrous oxide system, so they improve the blood flow to the penis. Um, so, yeah, and then also take regular exercise and things like that. Yeah, yes. Is there anything else that we should mention about it? Interesting one. I still yeah, remember quite. that training with you. It was such. It was so good. It was I remember ridiculous. the first time I met you. You were so anti-treatments for sexual dysfunction and things like that, and I well, changed your mind. Yeah, because exactly, I sort of, you know, I mean, you know, if people are going to, you know, come up to me and say, you know, your vagina doesn't look pretty, and I was thinking, well, they can just bugger off then, can't they? But then, as you explained, 
there is so much more to this than um than it's we're not talking about a design of vagina here or, or a design okay, of that's never been part of my conversation it's always been about functional improvements yeah so both men and women it's about improving function and quality of life yes is there a way to check the platelets quality sorry quantity in the tube um when you can check your plate patient's platelet count before they have the procedure and if I suspect them of having low platelets for any reason then I'll do that there's not an easy way to check function and there isn't really a way you can instantly test the platelet count in the tube that you've drawn or the syringes I use in my case yeah. um, the if you have a reputable centrifuge company they would have done growth factor assays on multiple samples to test their device so as long as the patient's got a normal pet platelet count, they should have the normal range of growth factors in the um, PRP that you produce. What would make you suspect somebody had a, um, a, a poor level? Um, so when you take a history, you ask them about any bruising or bleeding disorders. You also ask about any medications that can affect the platelets. Um, and you ask about any whether they've been given a diagnosis of a platelet disorder or if anyone in their family has. I also ask them about anemia as well, because often if you have a low haemoglobin, a low platelet can go with that as well. Well, things like sickle cell anemia, would that rule you out as well? Because that sort of changes the, 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 the red, doesn't it? No, it tends not to affect the platelets so much. Yeah. But um, generally, if they had sickle cell anemia, I'd have a full blood count before the treatment anyway. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I can't think of anything else to ask. Anybody else? No, we've had quite a comprehensive discussion, haven't we? I think so. I said, I, you know, I, I like to have my questions, and that's what I'm looking at every time and I look at so, um, do you? Oh, do you? Yeah, you do activate the plate. plate, plate but yeah. Maybe she, yeah, I think, London Beauty Creek. Yeah, I use calcium to activate With calcium. the prime jet. Are you adding that to to it, or is it automatically in the system that you've got? No, um, I add it right before I'm going to inject. Because what I don't want, some of the platelets have a really short half-life, some of the growth factors. So what I don't want is for all the growth factors to expire in the syringe before I inject. Also, once you activate the platelets, you've got a certain amount of time before it turns into a gel. So you I... need to before that. How, how much time do you actually have before you end up with an unusable? Uh, probably about 10 to 15 minutes. Oh, it is quite short, isn't it? Especially if yeah. you're doing area. Yeah, so I will activate as, if I'm doing multiple areas, I'll activate the platelets before I inject that area. Yeah, yeah, that would be a very, very sensible thing to do. And the other thing that's useful for as well, apart from, um, apart from penises and vaginas, which we briefly touched on, but is also um, I breasts you mentioned, and of course the face and... Um, it's hands, hair. Yeah, oh, you can yeah. use it on hands, you can use it on the hair. It's brilliant for hair. Um, I do PRP breast restoration with it. So it's for, with the breast, it's more for where you've lost volume through weight loss or childbirth or aging rather than trying to create something that was never there. So if you were an A cup, it's not going to give you a D cup. Yeah. But if you were a C and you've gone down, it will restore. Yeah, so you got to that point where your breast looks slightly like a, a ski slope. Um, yeah. Can it help with that or is it? Um... Um, it depends on how big and heavy your breasts are as well, because 
it's not surgical it restores the fat in the breast um, and it replaces volume so any lifting you get is due to the volume replacement um, it's mainly used for the cleavage enhancement so it looks like you're wearing a really nice bra um, and just gives you that look of support back whereas um, after breastfeeding and things many women are left with what they call empty sacs so it kind of helps restore that mm, or an orange in a stocking <laughs> <laughs> just work it over your shoulder <laughs> yes exactly um good all right well i think that i'm done <laughs> lovely well if anyone's got any more questions you can message me on my instagram page um i work at the crowley clinic on harley street and elite aesthetics in kent and that saved me from doing that. So there you go, Dr. Sharin Lakani <laughs> at the Cranley Centre on Harley Street or at Elisa's Aesthetics in Kent. So there you go, Brynn. Look, thank you for that. That was a good thing, actually, because I was feeling a bit guilty about men being ignored for, um, for quite some time. Well, it makes a change, though, doesn't it? Because women have been ignored for decades. That is true. That is very, yeah. very true. And as we know... Yeah, I think both genders need to be able to talk about their intimate health issues comfortably without any embarrassment and know that there are treatments available true very true and all across all cultures as well absolutely yeah because i'd imagine actually this might be harder in certain um in certain sectors of the community than it is in others possibly I get, white male um, well i get people from all backgrounds coming for treatment so I think when you've got a problem that you really want a solution to, um, you will put aside barriers and seek the help you need. Yeah. Is it doing that men come forward more than women? Um, I found that a lot at the beginning, actually. When I first started, um, as you know, I was the first female doctor in the UK to offer both the male and female procedures. So when I first started, I expected to see more women being female. And I thought my male colleagues would see more of the men, but I was overwhelmed by the number of inquiries I got from men. And actually the female inquiries were slower in coming through. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably in some ways a little bit more, um, I think, you know, women are told much more that this is just part of aging, just put yeah. up. It, but whereas, you know, men's life seems to be very concentrated on their, on their penis. Um, so they're probably... I think it's also with the, um, the availability of effective treatments for men so yeah. things like viagra and cialis they do work and um you can get other treatments such as um get implants and things like that to help with ed so you've got treatments that can help so men i found were more likely to come forward because they expect there's some there to be something available for them whereas women on the other hand were told well there's nothing we can do until very recently it was, well, it's just part of life. It's just part of aging. Yeah. Shut up, really. That actually just reminds me of um, PRP as an alternative. Because, you know, often men say, oh, you know, my penis is too small or it's not working. Should I have fillers or should I have an implant? How does PRP stack up against those in terms of, uh, of risks and benefits? In terms of risks, the risk is much lower with PRP because you're only using your own blood products. Whereas um, with fillers, there's risks of occluding blood vessels, uneven results, etc. Um, and implants carry all the risks of surgery. Yeah. yeah. yeah but then... That little wobble, which is generally how it looks after filler. Yeah. And I think with the implants too, they can sometimes, like, they can come through the skin, can't they? And they can yeah. sort of 
get bent and stuck in, in a sort of like wrong position and also... yeah and then you, you can get other implants where you can inflate them and deflate them as you need to as well and they can fail as well so Plus yeah you've got risk of surgery and then with the with the sort of more permanent ones i guess then you've got the ones that are like you know permanently in a, in a sort of erect yeah, position hiding yeah. and you know if you're wearing you know bathers on the beach whatever you're probably wandering around looking like <laughs> Sausage shoved down your pants, which probably some people might find confronting. Mm. Yeah. Well, there you go. Now that's a note to end on. Brilliant. Lovely <laughs> to be here, always, Fiona. Yes. Take care, and um, I will talk to you.